Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we were not raided by the FBI this week, unlike other people. (laughs) I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello, and my dog, um, dog. who's there in the background, yes, being a very good boy. He likes to participate. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, Lauren? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm back in I'm back in New York City, which I'm happy about, excited about. Although I got back to my apartment and I was like, oh, that's right. I have to like do things for myself. <laughs> Not that I don't do things for myself when I'm at my, my parents, but still there's like that feeling of like, oh, I'm responsible for everything. Right. Like I have to do all <laughs> the things, not just yep. some of the things. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. My parents also have a dishwasher, which uh, I fr- I was like, oh yay, I'm back home. Like, oh no, I have to actually do my own dishes. That's stupid. <laughs> Just get paper plates. The environment loves that. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, well, I am in my new apartment, which I was last week too, but um, last week I didn't really get to enjoy it much because I've been sick. I don't know if I still have COVID or not, because I haven't tested again, but uh, I'm feeling much better, despite how I may sound. Um, This is, this, I think this is going to linger for a while. So, um, but yeah, I'm feeling much better and I really appreciate everybody who sent me messages and and notes and things um, with their well wishes because... It was really rough, and anybody who still tries to say this is just a really bad cold is lying, or they just don't know what the hell they're talk- talking about, because this is not just a really bad cold. I was knocked out flat on my ass last weekend, and it took probably three or four days before I could even just get up and function for a couple of hours without needing to, like, lay down. <laughs> so, and even then, it's like doing certain activities, I'm still really tired, um after not very long so yeah don't get covid if you can avoid it (laughs) i'm so sorry thank you yeah i'm so sorry well you've done a good job at avoiding it to this point so that's that's good you know well i had and and then it's like even when i wasn't being that careful i was still always managing to be around people or to avoid being around people who were really actively sick until one day and it was a friend who just didn't warn me that she was sick and so that's the other thing too is like if you're not feeling well even if it's not covid just just do do a favor tell your friends that hey listen i don't feel good and stay away from them because it's not cool (laughs) to just blindside people like that so especially now you would think that most people would be like more aware of that because it's like oh i don't feel great but i'm still gonna go and do stuff just like "Mm, why don't you just wait yeah and see if it's covid and you know go from there because yeah i mean i i got i got food poisoning um a couple weeks ago like fairly close to my friend's wedding and i was like testing multiple times and i was like i definitely have food poisoning this is not covid this is like nothing about this Uh represents covid but i tested several times just to be certain i was like it could be some bizarre manifestation of covid yeah well and that's the other thing too is like when i first wasn't feeling well so it all started last friday afternoon and that day i wasn't feeling great and i took a covid test and it was negative and i thought huh okay well maybe i don't have it or Maybe I just can't test positive. Who knows? Like maybe the viral load isn't high enough or something, but I still have it. I wasn't sure. And so by Saturday when I was feeling just horrible, um, I emailed, we have a contact person at work, like through HR that is the designated 
COVID-19 person. And so I emailed her thinking, okay, well, I'll hear from her on Monday. But no, she responded like Sunday morning. And she said, okay, on day three of symptoms, take a test again. And so that was on Sunday. So I tested in that time. It's like, I it was one of those home tests. And um, the, like, as when you do that, I don't know if you've done them, but you just do a little three drops in the little, like, yeah. bowl thing. And then it fills in and shows you the control line. It didn't even... Like, as it was filling up to go to the control line, the test, like, whoop, lit right up. <laughs> it was just like, no <laughs> question. I definitely had it. So it was like, oh, all right. I think a lot of people just test once, maybe twice in the first or second day of their symptoms and think, oh, okay, well, it's not COVID. I just have something else. And then they give up. Like, so that's the thing is like this article I had been reading last week in the New York Times had said, you know, a lot of people that are testing negative that have COVID symptoms just haven't tested positive yet. Not that they won't. They just haven't yet. And they stopped testing. So. Uh Day three. Day three of symptoms. Anyway, this is um, Citizen Dame's COVID episode. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about some other um, not happy things. I don't know. Yeah, this is not going to be a this is going to be a downer episode, but um, we'll we'll get, we'll get to some happy slightly happier things, I think. Hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah. First, I think we should start off by talking about Anne Heche, who mm-hmm. passed away yesterday. Um, she, this is such a such a tragic thing that has happened because it was what last weekend I think she was involved in a car accident. There's a lot of conflicting. Um, information, a lot of things that we don't know about what actually happened. But the the fact is, she was driving, um, she seemed to be impaired, and she crashed into an apartment building. They tried to get her out of the car, she drove away, and then crashed a couple blocks later into a house. There was a fire, she was still in the car, uh, she was severely injured, and uh, passed away yesterday um, because of her injuries. And, um, I think what's, what's really sad about this, I mean, she's been very vocal. She wrote a memoir and stuff. She's been very outspoken about her battle with mental illness and particularly bipolar disorder. And it's been really frustrating and angering and very, very sad to see people this week just talk about how, cause she was in a coma for several days and, I was seeing all kinds of comments from people who were just saying like, I hope she wakes up so that she can face justice and stuff like that. And it's just the, the overwhelming lack of compassion for someone who obviously was going through something really terrible just makes me so frustrated and angry. And I just, I, I just, I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. You know? Yeah. I mean, she I, I i don't think it's it doesn't seem to be quite clear what was ha- what was happening like like you say obviously she was impaired in some way what that was is kind of seems to be sort of an open question right now um but yeah it, it's it's like she's 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 passed away she badly injured herself right she was she basically was in a coma and they kept her body on life support um to to see to check her organs because she was an organ donor yeah um and it yeah i think that we do definitely have to have compassion for that and compassion for the fact that you know like you say obviously this was someone who maybe needed help and didn't get it or relapsed in some way or but or period is has has died like has passed on and i don't think she intended to hurt anybody no, um, she didn't intend to do any of this. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. And and well, and there's so many assumptions, too. I mean, people assume that she was driving drunk. Who knows? Maybe she was, but maybe she wasn't. You know, when I a couple of years ago, I was at a friend's house and it was in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. It was a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I was down in Long Beach and um, my car was parked just down the block on this corner. And I, you know, I was leaving her house. I was going to go home 
and I walked outside and I'm like, do, 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 just walking down the street and I stopped in my tracks and I saw my car and I was just like, what the fuck happened to my car? It was completely smashed and there's no one around. My car is just smashed on the side of the road. And I was just like, I, it was the, it was the most surreal moment. And I was just like, I don't even know what to think. So I walked up to it and there was a, someone had written on a post-it note that they stuck on the driver's window. I saw it. I live next door. Um, it's the middle of downtown Long Beach, so there's lots of next doors. I had no idea like where this where this note came from. And then there was something from the Long Beach Police Department slipped under my windshield about how to request a copy of the police report. And so I'm standing there trying to figure out like what do I do, <laughs> you know? And um, then all these these people start walking by like, oh, yeah, I saw what happened. This guy, he just totally smashed right into your car. He was drunk. The police came and arrested him. Uh, someone else came by. I was like, oh, he was on. He was totally on cocaine, you know, like all this stuff. And um, I, you know, I got in touch with the insurance company. They arranged me a rental car. They got my car towed and stuff. And, and so it was just a crazy circumstance. And um, my car was completely totaled, by the way. Um, and I was just like, I, you know, I had no idea what happened. And I'm just thinking like, great, some drunk guy in the middle of the Saturday afternoon crashed into my car. Well, a couple weeks later, when I got the copy of the police report, that is not what happened at all. It was someone who had had brain surgery. He wasn't supposed to be driving because he didn't have like he was on a medical restriction, but he was staying at his niece's house. He wanted to go to the store. She was asleep on the couch. So he took her keys and he got in her car and then he had like a medical episode while he was driving and ended up smashing into, well, he almost hit one car, but realized what was happening and managed to avoid it. But in the process, overcorrected and smashed into mine. And it was like, I don't know. It was just one of those things where it was so easy to make a lot of assumptions about what happened and what this guy was up to. But it turned out he wasn't arrested. He was taken to the hospital because he was having medical emergency, you know. And it, it's just it's so easy to make a lot of assumptions about what happened and about people's motives and about what's wrong with them. Um, and it's so often we are completely wrong. And so in this case, yeah. I think you know, yeah, it's really tragic that this woman lost her house. Um, the lady whose house got hit, like it burned and people are raising money for her and stuff. And it's like, that's really kind. And yeah, it's a horrible thing that happened to her. But also at the, at the heart of it, we've also got a woman who has just died, who has kids, who has family and friends who love her mm -hmm. and who don't deserve to be dealing with this just really horrible hateful uh, stuff that people are saying. And so much of it is based on a lot of misinformation about who Anne Heche was in the first place. And this is misinformation, mm -hmm. intentional misinformation that goes back decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, I, it's, it's a good point also just that it doesn't cost anything to have compassion. Yeah. Um, particular, particularly when you're talking about someone who has died, right? This, this is like, this is if she's going to face justice or something like that. It's like, no, she, she's dead. Like she's passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to be compassionate for that, whatever was happening is, is I think something that, um, uh, that is very important. Yeah. The most random part is that I just met her for the first time a couple months ago at a party. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she was so nice. Um, she seemed really, I was, I guess I was just surprised by how normal she seemed after all the stories that you hear. So when I heard this, I was just like, wait, what? It, it just, it was really crazy. Yeah. It was at a power of the dog event actually. So, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you transition away from that? I know. Um, Ezra Miller. <laughs> <laughs> It's really the only way to transition. Let's face it. there's there's no every time the the words Ezra Miller come up, you're just like, oh dear, what's happened now? Yeah, yeah. What are they up to this time? So Ezra Miller was arrested. Um, I don't remember if this happened before or after last episode um, that they were arrested for burglary in Vermont. 
what was it? Someone someone on Twitter the other day said that every time Ezra Miller's name uh, comes up, it's always followed by <laughs> like the most random string of like <laughs> crime and location. <laughs> It's just, I mean, we were, we were talking about this. Uh, on the one end, it's like, this is a serious situation and, and the things that are happening there are serious. On the other hand, just like, ah, yes, as it's almost like Mad Libs. Yeah. Ezra Miller has committed <laughs> perjury in Montana, you know? <laughs> right. It's just so weird. So this time, it's burglary in Vermont. Um, <laughs> this is after all the other things that they've done. Uh, yeah, so it's very, this is such an odd, odd story, but it just keeps happening. And the, that's the oddest part about it. So of course we talked last week about HBO Max and Warner Brothers Discovery and some of the cho- the choices that they're making and the fact that they killed Batgirl. Um, but they just are apparently just so all in on the flash, which supposedly had such great test screenings that they went back and let Ezra come in and film some like reshoots and added scenes and stuff for the movie that they will not kill. Like this movie is, they're positive that they're going to do this movie and I don't get it. And I can't imagine how many people are like, yes, I definitely want to go see the Ezra Miller movie. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about this before. Miller is not, they're not a huge name right? right they're they're known for the flash that's primarily where i know them from um but otherwise it's like i mean if the reason why i know who ezra miller is is because of this continuous stream of bizarre crimes yeah and you know like ever since the accusations the allegations in hawaii and like and kidna- stories about kidnapping and cult beginning cults and and things like that and they keep we keep on getting these things so every single time ezra miller is in the news it's not like you know ezra miller donates to a foundation for puppies it's ezra miller has has done something yeah something not good right horrible yeah that's the thing that Uh, i just i don't understand why warner is so committed to this movie i mean granted they have already spent a lot of money on it but how good could those test screenings really be that they're like, yes, this is definitely worth the money and the effort and the terrible press that is going to result. Well, and, and I think that this, the speculation seems to be that, um, uh, that in that, like people will forget what's going on with yeah. us for Miller. Um, and I, I think that, and I would understand that if it was a single incident, right. If there was like one incident where, um, you know, so the Hawaii incident, yeah, and then nothing else happened after that, or you know, they 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 went on a press tour or something like that, or like trying to explain what happened. Mm-hmm. But this is like consistent. There's been a consistent series of very troubling at at best um, events, and and I'm kind of like, look, if you think that people are just going to forget about it by the time the movie comes out, like they could have committed murder by then. Yeah. We don't know what they're going to do next. Um, and and that's what's really concerning about it. So from a PR perspective, right, just leaving out the human element, from a PR perspective, it's just like you're banking on the fact that they're not going to do something even stranger. Right. Well, and also, how the hell are they going to market this movie? Because you, yeah. can't, put, <laughs> you can't put them out on a press tour. How's that going to work? Even with really carefully curated questions and things, because I've got I've had times where they've said like, you know, the reps have said, don't ask about this or that. It's not very often, but occasionally it does happen. Um, Or I've had an interview cut off one time because I started to ask a question that they didn't want me to. But um, but uh, I just I I don't know, like, how how is this going to work? How is this possibly going to work? And as we know, a lot of the. Um, Snyderverse fans are not real people, they're uh, bots so I don't know where where Warner Brothers thinks that the money is coming from for uh, for ticket sales for this movie. Yeah, I mean you know, they might be banking on the fact that because this whole thing has become so notorious yeah, um, that people will go see it just to kind of see, but I, I, I really don't think that even at that level, you know, and I, I'm not convinced that that's what they're doing. Frank, frankly, I think that the head of Warner Brothers is just dumb. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that's that's being borne out by all of the information that we have about HBO Max and all of that stuff that we talked about last week. Uh, but, e- you know, even if the whole thing is this like this notoriety that people are going to go because they're curious, I don't imagine that that is going to translate into enough ticket sales to justify that. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's a very it's a weird situation. And I I, I am having difficulty understanding why Warner Brothers is so all in on this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Andy Muschietti is an interesting director, so maybe it is a good movie, but I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand how they look at this and say, yeah, this is worth the risk. I just don't. Well, and even if they get to the point where they're able to send Miller out on like, because there, there's been discussion about, you know, go, sending them out on a limited press tour, right? Um, and... And even if they got to that point, there is absolutely no guarantee that they are not going to do something bizarre. Right. In fact, um, or I say think something a very bizarre. high likelihood that, that they will. Yeah. And so so then you've got this, this again, that PR nightmare that, that, you know, if they do something or say something or do something on, on like a television show mm-hmm. or in front of reporters, then there's even, you've got even a bigger problem at that point because everybody's going to be talking about that, not the film. Yeah, exactly. Um, so speaking of films that are going to have lots of problems in them, um, but this one does not have the participation of its main subject. There is a new documentary coming about Army Hammer, who may or may not be a cannibal, but probably is. Um, did you watch the trailer for this? Because I started to, and I could not finish it. I think I just was not filling up to listening about cannibalism that day. <laughs> I yeah, I watched the trailer for. I think I think that it plays the problem. Part of the problem that I had with the trailer actually was that I was just like, is this like a lifetime movie about the hammers? Because that's what it feels like. It, yeah. There, there's, there's a certain, they're leaning into the inherent sleaziness of everything, which I understand it is sleazy. Um, and, but it, it, it feels very much like, you know, they're making comparisons to, you know, this is like a real life succession. Yeah. And and as I know that a lot of crazy stuff happens on Succession, I don't think these specifically kinds of crazy things do. Mm, um, not yet. <laughs> but it it seems like the focus is is going to be not just on Army Hammer, but on the entire family. Yeah, it's like five um, generations and, of Hammers. Yeah. Yeah, and particularly the men in the family, um, including at least one one woman who is you know has agreed to to speak on camera, who's a member of the family. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it looks kind of exploitative on the one hand. On the other hand, I, I feel like it could be fascinating and maybe not something I necessarily want to know about. It feels like, yeah, I, I just, I don't, I guess I don't understand the goal of it if it's not just about, like, um, exploitation, you know? It's a it's a three part series. It's gonna be on yeah. on Discovery Plus, and I'm trying to see. I can't remember exactly when it's supposed to hit. Um, uh, September second, but yeah, they're go on. Oh, I was just gonna say, but yeah, if it's like, is is this supposed to be for education? Because I don't understand what educational value it has. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like an expose basically of yeah. the the Hammer family and kind of the systemic abuse. Um, in in some ways, yeah, I think it is. It seemed it certainly seems to be exploitative because what it's basically doing is, um, you know, we're going to go back into the family history and we're going to kind of explain this very uh, and you know they're very disturbing allegations against Army Hammer mm-hmm. um, and the sheer number of things one of the things that actually bothered me a little bit was when when i was looking at the trailer i was i was also looking at the comments never look at the comments don't do that but but so many of them were just like oh he's just got a kink it's just like no this is not just a kink no like like you know bdsm oh you know all of these all of these different fetishes are okay as long as they are one consensual Mm -hmm. and two not like damaging to other people 
Right. And this goes way beyond kinkiness. This, you know, kinkiness is is totally fine and acceptable. This isn't I don't think this is kink shaming to to be like, oh yes, he's actually an abuser. Yeah. And uh and it's it sounds like from the way that the um that the trailer presents it certainly is that that this is pretty systemic within his family. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I'm kind of with you like what is what's the goal here? What is What's the conclusion that we're supposed to come to about this other than the hack other than the fact that the the Hammer family is fucked up? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, the guy is like selling timeshares in the Caymans. It's not like he's under arrest for anything still. Um so it's like I, I yeah, I just I don't I don't know what the goal is. So, I don't know, but I'm sure that there will be a lot of shocking stuff in it. I don't have access to Discovery Plus, so I don't know if I will see it at any point, but well, with all of the merging of HBO Max and Discovery, maybe we'll get it on HBO Max <laughs> at some point. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? So that's it for the um, sad and bad news and stuff. Um, so let's talk about something happy today. <laughs> at the time that we are recording, by the time you listen, it's a couple of days ago. But at the time that we are recording, um, Lauren, what is today? It is Hitchcock Day! Yay! It's Alfred Hitchcock's. (laughs) It's Alfred Hitchcock's birthday. Yes. Yes, which I'd completely forgotten about (laughs) until yesterday, (laughs) and I was like, "Oh no, I almost missed the national holiday." (laughs) It was so funny because when we were doing our recommendations, I was posting them on Instagram, and I asked you for yours, and you very enthusiastically said "King of Chinatown," and I was just like, "Oh, that's so weird that she didn't pick a Hitchcock film." And I thought about asking you about it, and then I was just like, no, I'm going to be the one that picked the Hitchcock film, and you did it this time. I'm just going to let it stand. (laughs) Well, first of all, King of Chinatown is a very good film. Like, I do recommend it to people, so that's fine. Also, I was driving when when you sent me that question, so, like, I responded to you after I'd gotten back in the car from, like, stopping at our service station, so I completely forgot. completely forgot that I, I I agree I think that it is funny but you did but thankfully we did not miss the the recommendation because you did recommend uh to catch a thief right I did I did which I watched again last night I was thinking about the reason I picked that one because there's so many great Hitchcock films but the reason yeah. I picked that one because I was like it's late August it's like kids are starting to go back to school like I just wanted a movie that felt like the end of summer. And to me, To Catch a Thief feels like the end of summer. It's on the French Riviera. It's like, you know, just vacation-y. So that's mm-hmm. why I picked that one. I really enjoy To Catch a Thief. It, it tends to be kind of... I, I actually posted, like, my top 10 underrated uh, Hitchcock films on, on our Letterboxd. Um, but To Catch a Thief is another one that tends to be kind of pushed aside. It's just like, oh, it's light, it's frothy, it's not, you know, it's not really an important film. But part of it, the fun of it is that it is light and frothy. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's exciting, it's funny. Um, Cary Grant and Grace Kelly are, are wonderful together. I love, um, what's her name, Jesse Royce Landis, uh-huh. who plays Grace Kelly's mother in that. Um, it's just a good, like, entertaining heist movie. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's definitely on the more predictable side of, yeah. of his movies, but it's yeah, it's just fun and carefree. That's that's what I feel when I watch it. Yeah, it's very it very much depends upon the kind of elegance and the the um, frothiness and the chemistry between the leads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just yeah, it's just an entertaining film. I always that's one that I always go to, and I'm just like I just want to watch something nice. You yeah, know? yeah, and and definitely Cary Grant and Grace Kelly together are just beautiful. It's. It's Cary Grant as he's starting to become the silver fox, you know? So yeah. He's that, like, silver hair. Oh, man. Yeah. And Grace Kelly is just the picture of elegance all the time. Yeah. So. And and I, lo- I love the fact, you know, people, I, I often see people going like, oh, Hitchcock, you know, has so much subtlety in his films. Just like, <laughs> yes. Also, have you seen To Catch a Thief where you have a sex scene with, like, a firework explosions? <laughs> <laughs> like... It's just like it's subtlety. It's just like no, it's not subtle. There's not nothing subtle, subtle at all. about it. Nope. <laughs> but I love the fact that he gets away with it because they never take their clothes off. Like you know, this this is whatever 19, late fifties, nineteen fifty five. 
Mm -hmm. uh they never take their clothes off there's never like there's never an a clear indication that they have had sex except there is right yeah. and and it is so good and is it's funny that's that's the thing i think that people kind of underestimate that film because it's funny mm -hmm. and because it is very like obvious yes <laughs> yep definitely so why don't you talk a little bit more about some of the other films that were on your underrated list? Just a second. I will pull up my underrated list. Okay. So I can remember what films are on my underrated list. Yeah. So, so the films that, um, that I listed here, a number of them are his, his, some of his earlier British films, which I, you know, I think that, I think that generally his British films are underrated, including the ones that are kind of more famous. So the, the the one that's at the top of my list is the lady vanishes and i hate using the term underrated because you know immediately some be like well it's not really underrated people love it it's like okay yes true <laughs> i think that the lady vanishes tends to be kind of pushed off to the side in favor of 39 steps um people talk about 39 steps a lot more it gets treated as as kind of the pinnacle of his his british career and I don't think that that's fair. The Lady Vanishes was his penultimate British film before he goes to America to make Rebecca. Um, but it's, it's I've talked about it before. It's breezy, it's fun. Um, it goes to this, like the undercurrent, that that consistency of humor that Hitchcock has in, in pretty much all of his films um, with a couple of exceptions. But I, I love the chemistry between the leads. I like the humor. Um, I like kind of the underlying political aspects of it. Uh, it's just a very well-constructed film and it's a very entertaining film. Um, and I, I actually prefer it in a lot of ways to The 39 Steps because I think Hitchcock gets to go more in on what he really enjoys doing, which is using these um, secondary characters as major major plot elements major drivers of the plot and the lady vanishes it becomes um fairly quickly an ensemble piece you know you've got the two leads but um so much of the film really is dependent upon the surrounding cast uh and and it's it's just it's just funny you know i love call the cut and charters i love the fact that the entire film opens with like for the first 20 minutes of the film it feels like a screwball comedy um, it's all these people kind of jammed together in a hotel and you're sort of waiting for something to happen. Um, and and so I like the pacing of it as well. I like the fact that he doesn't get into it too quickly. So, yeah. yes. Have I you like seen, the, you've seen The Lady Vanishes. I have. I actually watched it at your recommendation for the first oh, good. couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like it a lot. So it's, um, I don't really have anything to add. You've described it perfectly, but it's, um, it's definitely um early Hitchcock so it's it's like it doesn't have it's not as like flashy and and um and polished I guess as some of his later work which you would expect that you know it was earlier in his career but yeah. um but yeah just a a really fun kind of mystery one I love those movies that are like is this real is this not real you know and um I think it does a a really good job and um yeah, and I agree with you. I like the the opening too, where it's like most of the movie takes place on this train, but it doesn't start off that way, and you're not really sure where it's gonna go. And I think that's just delightful. Yeah, well, and and in, in your your comment about that it's, it doesn't feel as polished. I mean, a lot of his British films, I think, to our eyes, don't feel as polished, partially because he's also working with a lower budget usually. Yeah. Um. Then, then he obviously gets in in some of his later American films. Just the the technology that is being used. You've got you know much. It's much the the technology that's being used is much more cumbersome, and part of that is simply the the time period, right? Um. And so the Lady Vanishes films like the Lady Vanishes and the Thirty Nine Steps, and one of the other films is on there, Young and Innocent, um, are are very comparable to Hollywood films being made at the same time mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of their polish, et cetera. But yeah. I, I kind of, I like that. And I, like I say, I like the, the use of these secondary characters that he has such a good feel, particularly in his, in his British work for 
the kind the weirdnesses of humanity i think and that's one of the things that i really like about a lot of his british films mm-hmm. um some of the other british films that i included on there are also uh two two non-thrillers uh champagne and the ring um i love champagne champagne is like let's make kind of a comedic melodrama but add sort of thriller like suspense. It's a really fascinating balance between between the the different things. And it's interesting to see Hitchcock using techniques that he uses in other films um, in the interest of thrillers, but in a film that is not at all a thriller. Interesting. Uh, and I think the same thing goes for The Ring, which is a boxing movie and is, is right now on the Criterion channel as part of their um, boxing collection. And again, you get like there, there's a wonderful building of suspense in one sequence where the the boxer suspects his wife of having an affair with another man. And you're kind of building to the point of him discovering it and of him deciding what to do. And Hitchcock uses all of these suspense techniques that we recognize. You recognize you would recognize them from rear window or from rope. But it's like that's the uncovery of a murder. Right. But this is more like the uncovery of an affair. And um, and it really, I think, showcases how good he was at, at using suspense and also how suspense is not only employed in um, in thriller or mystery stories, but is really usable and, and can be used to fantastic effect uh, in in in, you know, non mystery stories in a boxing movie or in a comedy or something like that. So th- those were the those were two others that I think are really underseen because they aren't thrillers. They aren't like the famous, you know, Hitchcockian films. Um, Champagne is available. I, I know it's available on YouTube. It's it's also available on Kino now um, and is is a wonderful silent film. And The Ring is is on Criterion Channel. Cool. One uh, uh, another one that you listed that I watched, excuse me, that I watched yesterday was Blackmail. Yes. <laughs> My second favorite British film. <laughs> out of all the British films or out of all the Hitchcock British? Out of all the Hitchcock, of his, of his, uh, of Hitchcock's his British, British output. Films. So yes, it. it's my second favorite. Nice. Yeah, it was, <laughs> so, it was good. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I was going to ask what you thought of it. Cause I think I've talked about blackmail a couple of times on this podcast, but, but I've been like, Karen, you need to see blackmail. Karen, yeah. Karen, why don't you see blackmail? So no. what did you think? I really liked it. Um, at first, I thought it was going to be silent because the whole the whole opening sequence of it was was totally silent, and um, and I was like, "There's no title cards." I'm I'm a little confused. And then all of a sudden, they kind of start talking. So I was like, "Oh, okay, this is not a silent film. This is a talkie." Um, one of the things that I really liked about it. So for anybody who doesn't know the story. Basically, um, so this movie came out in 1929, and um, basically there's this this young woman, she's engaged to a guy who is um, a police detective, and she's kind of, um, she's kind of bratty, I think, in the beginning, and like, they're, they're going out, and she just kind of has this attitude and stuff, and um, anyway, so she ends up leaving she tells him like i'm going home and she meets some other guy on the way who's this artist and he invites her to come to his place and she does but then when he starts to make the moves on her she's like "Mm -mm, no 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna go but then um he attacks her and tries to rape her and she ends up killing him in self-defense and uh so her fiance ends up being the detective that's assigned to the case and um what i i think one of the things that was the most compelling to me in watching it was the way that she is depicted like she goes from being this really outspoken um kind of a little bit obnoxious girl to like the the depression and the sadness and the fear and everything just like she completely changes overnight as anybody would in an, in a circumstance like this but it, she just it's done so well and um and it just you're really with her this whole time like you're just feeling so um so sad for her that she's gone through this experience and like really wanting her to get away with it and then some guy shows up who 
is maybe a witness and is, you know, he says that he knows that she did it. And so that's where the blackmail comes in is he's trying to blackmail her, um, to not tell what he knows. So anyway, I thought it was a really good movie. It's, um, it's, uh, um, what was I going to say? It's just, it's the way that the, the suspense, like it keeps you going. He's obviously, it's Alfred Hitchcock. He's the master of suspense, but the way that, um, you know what people's motives are, you know what people's intentions and desires are. Um, and you see where they're working against each other, but it's, it's really balanced so well. And, um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a good movie. It, it really is. And, um, I, I, I like the, the, you know, you, you've mentioned that, um, she, she changes so clearly, uh, mm -hmm. following the assault, like her, her character changes. And one of the things that I noticed the last time I watched it is that she gets very quiet. She, she yeah. is very outspoken and very active at the beginning, like you said. And then suddenly she, it's, she, she almost stops talking completely. Mm -hmm. um and there's there are large sections of the film and in fact at, at a certain point um i think it's the the dialogue that's between her her fiance and the blackmailer and basically the two of them are like debating her fate basically yeah yeah and mm -hmm. yeah the two men are and she's just totally quiet but the the camera and the focalization of the film is completely through her mm -hmm. it's her experience it's it's what has been done to her and actually one of the things that i quite like about the film is i don't feel like the film ever particularly blames her for the attempt uh, the the artist's attempt to rape her no um it's she's sort of like oh she's flirtatious she's doing all this but she comes to a point and she's just like no i'm i'm done i'm leaving etc and then he attacks her well, as soon as um, he tries to kiss her, she's like, mm -mm, no, 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 yeah. I'm going to go now. It, so it's like she never at any point is entertaining that part of the flirtation. Yeah. And, and the film doesn't come down on the fact that, you know, oh, she went to a man's apartment. She did that, you know, so she should have expected this. It's more like she's maybe a little stupid about it. Mm -hmm. Right. But that that still isn't her fault. The the fault is very much the film frames the fault as being very much on the artist's side. Yeah. And that her reaction to it is to defend herself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she grabs the knife and the, the entire sequence where he attempts to rape her is is you know, just from a technical standpoint, is fantastic when you see her hand grabbing the knife. Yeah. Um, well, and, and at the end, too, like, so after everything's resolved, not to give anything away, people should watch it. It's on Canopy and um, I can't remember where else, but um, I watched it on Canopy. But um, at the end, when you get this resolution and she's standing again between two men and they are laughing and she's kind of like laughing, too, and then the camera just focuses right on her and you can see like she still is very traumatized and nothing about this is funny yeah. and it's not okay. And it's just it's just brilliant the way that it is, um, the way that the camera does just really focus on her and make you feel what she's feeling. Yeah, it, it is. It's his um, among his most strikingly female films like it. It, yeah. it places more so than than almost any any other of his films it places you in the position of this young woman um and her experiences and her victimization and how the world treats her etc uh one of the things i did want to say about the the um use of the the sound is is that it was made in a, in both a silent and a sound version um so there is a silent version that you can watch and it's it's slightly different for the for the most part um if i remember correctly and it's been a long time since i've actually seen the silent version but for the most part it's pretty much the same i think there are a few differences in some of the scenes obviously you don't get the repetition of the word knife um right. which is so famous it's such a famous use of sound that was right but so and and actually annie andra who plays the lead was i believe i want to say german um and spoke very imperfect english so she's dubbed oh. uh in in the the sound version of the film but one of the things that i like about it about the sound version actually is that he uses sound so specifically but he also uses silence mm -hmm. and so like that whole the whole thing about her barely talking after the assault um you know the some of the most powerful scenes are actually 
the scenes where it is just characters moving around each other. It isn't um, what they're saying or what is being said, but he, he uses that balance of sound and silence so well in that film. And I think that some of it is definitely because of the circumstances under which it was made, but the, um, the use of sound is, is so unique. And, uh, and Hitchcock was one of those directors who resist, he didn't want to make sound films. If he could have made silent films his entire career, I think he would have been perfectly happy with that. Cause he felt that it was departing from the purpose of cinema. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, if if you ever get a chance to watch the silent version, it's very it's an interesting comparison. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna check for that. Very yes. cool. Yay. I'm so glad you got to see it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, that was a good one. I had a nice double feature last night. I watched Blackmail and I watched To Catch a Thief. <laughs> <laughs> to Catch a Thief is definitely a happier movie. I'm yes, saying. I'm glad I watched it in the order that I did. <laughs> yeah, I black blackmail. I I think in my review of like the Kino Blu-ray, I said that it was Hitchcock's nastiest British film, and it is. Hmm. It's an it's a it's a very unflinching film, I guess is the way that I would yeah. put it. There there's not a he doesn't paper over a lot of the unpleasantness. Yeah, definitely. So we got a question. We got a couple of questions. We got one from Keith. I think this is good. This is a good place to go next. Um. He said, a lot of my friends refuse to watch anything produced before 1980. Uh, I think you need new friends, Keith. Um, what Hitchcock film would you suggest for someone like that who has never seen one before or anything like it? Why that particular film? So, Lauren, you are a um, resident Hitchcock expert. <laughs> Well, I always make fun of people for being like, oh, you know, the, these are the greatest Hitchcock films. And it's always the same five films. However. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I do think that those are, if you've never seen a Hitchcock film, I do think that the, the big ones, the big, the big Hitchcock films, the masterpieces, as, as it were, are probably one of the best places to start. I would say something like Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Um maybe north by northwest the problem that i have with north by northwest is that it's a very very good film but it's very long um it's actually over two hours and it doesn't feel that way but it, it's one of his longer longer films um, i got to see that on the big screen a couple of years ago they were doing uh you know like fathom events screening mm-hmm. of it and I'd, I'd only ever seen it on tv before and i would say if someone does get the opportunity to see that on a big screen definitely try that when you're locked into a theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. The the Birds kind of, although The Birds is a very atypical film, I actually wouldn't suggest Psycho. Uh, because first of all, if you've got someone who's resistant to watching older films, it's in black and white. Um, but also because it takes, it takes forever to get to the Psycho part. <laughs> it's like the first half hour of the film is you're, you're kind of like when, you know, we're talking about the lady vanishes the first half hour of that film is like a screwball comedy. First half hour of Psycho, you're like, when are we going to get to the scary part? Like, <laughs> and then it hits and it's fantastic, but you have to have patience yeah. and you've got to let everything build because it seems like it's a completely different story than what it turns out to be. So yeah, I, w- I would actually, I would actually say like Rear Window or North by Northwest are, are two of the best entry points. I would say I would definitely agree that I think Rear Window is the best place to start. Um, but then after that, I would say try Psycho because um, yeah, Psycho has been um, homaged so much. So is Rear Window. Those are two that would be the most familiar, I guess. Those are the two movies out of Hitchcock's. Um, repertoire that people would would watch watch one of those and say oh this movie reminds me of something that came 30 years later which drives me nuts it's like no 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 those movies remind you of the hitchcock movies (laughs) you got that backwards anyway but yeah um but i would say after rear window if that goes well then watch psycho because psycho is fantastic that was actually the first hitchcock film i ever watched um, I was like 16 or 17, but I was also into classic movies because I grew up with a mom who, you know, showed them to me. So um, that makes a big difference, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, I've said it before. I think that Psycho is his, you know, if, you, if you've got to label one of his films as his masterpiece, I, I do think that Psycho occupies that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it tends to be sometimes misunderstood, um, particularly the ending. Mm hmm. 
which I have gone on lengthy rants about and I will not do it again. Um, but it, yeah, like you say, it's, it's such, I, I think that one of the great things about it actually is that even if you, you know, all of the homages, you know, all of the reference, you know, there's so many references to psycho across film history, media, television, et cetera. The film is still, still holds up so well. Yeah. Um, even if you, even if you know the twist, even if you know all of the different, the different twists that the film takes, it still works and it's still, um, it's still exciting and scary. I, I actually think that Psycho is better the second time you watch it because you get to enjoy some of it a little bit more. And, you know, talking about Hitchcock once once made a, a, a joke that Psycho was his greatest comedy. And, um, and, you know, always take whatever he says with a grain of salt. But, um, but it, there is actually a lot of humor in it. And people talk about it like, oh, Psycho does, Psycho is very doer. It's like, no, Psycho is funny, but... It, you have to like, get the joke. You have to like know what where the film is going in order to get it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, one film, Keith, that you should not urge your friends to, to see. We got a question about. This is from Noah. Why are men obsessed with vertigo? I, I don't know. <laughs> men are dumb. The, dumb, the, ma the major explanation that I've seen for the, the vertigo obsession is, um, Kim Novak. I think a particular, <laughs> yeah, Kim Novak. And I mean, it's a, I've said it before. It's a gorgeous film. Like yeah. it is just visually it's his greatest use of color. Um, and, and it's very sumptuous and, uh, and more, more so than I think really anything else that he did before or after. It's boring. It's just, it's a boring film. I'm sorry. It's boring. It is so boring. Beyond, beyond the sexism, beyond all of the other issues that are in that film, it is dull. There are long passages where I'm like, get to the fucking point. Like, something has to happen, bro. Please. Um, the reason why I think that men are obsessed with it, uh, I, I think that a certain... I think that it's become kind of venerated by a certain class, a, a certain generation of um, male scholars and critics and filmmakers who have blown its importance out of proportion. And, and unfortunately, I think that, that some of it is also an indication of sort of a generational misogyny and a white male misogyny um, because there's this interpretation of it that it's like this romance uh, which I don't think that honestly, I don't think that the film bears that out. I don't believe that that Vertigo is intended to be a romance, or it's intended to be a story of obsession. Yeah, it's not about romance. It's it. Yeah, exactly. It's obsession. It's not romance. There's nothing romantic about obsession. Yeah, and um, and so people like critic male critics kind of reinforce this whole idea of um of it being Hitchcock's greatest greatest work or something like that. It's just it just it isn't it just isn't um but i i do i do think that there is an undercurrent it's very so it's a very celebrated film it's a film that's used as an example a lot um and i do think that there is an undercurrent of of sexism and misogyny and a miss and a fundamental misunderstanding as far as i'm concerned um of the intent of the film and uh it's in some ways you know i, I would say it's an easy film because you can you you can read it's you can read it in in such a clear and kind of simplistic way and i think that it that's more attractive to to a certain breed of a film critic and of scholar than anything else um so yeah i i think that men are obsessed with it because it speaks to a certain degree of sexism and misogyny in their own internal experience and uh and that concerns me yeah that's my opinion no i i think that i think that's exactly right um i will just add that i don't i don't think that it's not worth watching i think that it is definitely a film that's worth watching if you can stay awake through it because <laughs> it is it is boring i agree with you um but I do think that if you're going to watch it, you need to, to read up on some scholarly works about it um, and really understand not just not just the text of what you're seeing on the screen, but, but the subtext and, and 
a lot of the ways that it has been interpreted and misinterpreted. Like really educate. This is one that really you have to take the time to educate yourself on it. Yeah. And, and I think that one that people do consume it very passively and they make assumptions about it. And I, I think that some of this is also attached to the assumptions that we make about um, Hitchcock himself in his at a personal level um, and what his films express about him personally, which I always think is a mistake. I don't think that we should look at, at Hitchcock's work and be like, ah, this is exactly the man. Um you know, and and there are a lot of problems with him. And, you know, we, we've, again, something else that we've talked about. I think that in in some ways, Vertigo, it, Vertigo is a very precisely made film. It's a very precisely constructed film, but it's dull and it's baggy and it, it doesn't do what it needs to do. Uh, some of his less precise films are actually better because I think that they get at the, me- the inherent messiness of the characters much more. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it, does. it makes sense to me. So anybody who hasn't seen it might not, but I think it makes sense. So thank you. Um, okay. So before we wrap up, is there anything maybe that you watched this week that you enjoyed and would like to talk about and maybe recommend? It's like, I was actually trying to think about this. It's like, <laughs> is there anything that I've watched recently? I uh, actually recently watched a film called Chameleon Street. Oh, what's um, that? which is on it's on Criterion channel and it was um kind of underseen for for years it actually won like I think it won one of the major prizes at Sundance uh back when it was released in 1990 but it's um it's a fascinating film it's very different from what I thought it was going to be it's about a uh um a man who essentially and and this is based on a true story but it's about a man who essentially goes in and out of prison because he's he keeps on just deciding that he's going to be something so he decides like i'm going to be a doctor and he cons his way into a major hospital um as an internist he decides you know i'm going to be a lawyer and he man and he pretends to be a lawyer and he succeeds for long periods of time and so he bounces in and out of jail because he keeps on keeps on getting found out eventually um, but the film is really interesting. It's very internal. Uh, the the writer and director um, uh, is also the lead, and it's it kind of just just traces this sort of man's mentality basically. And it's it's a fascinating film, and not even by the description, it sounds much more straightforward than it actually is. Um, but I, I do recommend it. It's on Criterion Channel right now and is is a very bizarre and, and interesting exam, like character study, basically, examination of a character. Hmm. Cool. Um, what about you? So earlier this week, TCM had, like, they do a star of the day. Um, not every day, but a lot of times they'll do that. And earlier this week, it was William Holden. And so they showed several William Holden movies in a row and so I watched I watched four two of which I had seen Sunset Boulevard and Network both are amazing films and I love them Um, but there were two that I had not seen before Dear Ruth and Wild Rovers have you seen either of those I haven't seen either of those no so Dear Ruth it's from 1947 and he plays a guy who he plays this kid who um he's on leave he's he's in the war and he's on leave he just got sent home um or not sent home but he got to go on vacation basically for the weekend and so there's this this woman ruth her sister is a teenager and she's like super activist girl that um you know she does fundraisers and all these things and she is part of this group that was writing to soldiers to cheer them up and, you know, boost morale. And um, so she ended up a pen pal with this guy that's played by William Holden. And But she wasn't writing the letters as herself. She was writing the letters as her sister. <laughs> and um, so... I see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So he thinks that he's in love with this girl that he's not actually been writing to, who is actually engaged to someone else. And so he shows up to surprise her on leave. And so she just 
the sister kind of convinces her, just go along with it, you know, just help the guy out. He's going to be gone again in two days, and then you can just break his heart, you know, later. But, of course, that's, you know, not how things are going to work out. So it's just, a, um, it's funny, but it's also, um, it's just, a, it's a sweet movie um, about, about, you know, people falling in love with strangers. <laughs> um, but... Just, like, how good intentions can go so far off the rails and stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. And um, I I would recommend that. Wild Rovers is from 1971. And this one was directed by Blake Edwards. And this is about two cowboys. William Holden plays this, like, older cowboy. Um, and Ryan O'Neill, it's the two of them. And they're, they're, they're good cowhands. They work for this ranch, Holden. He's been there for a long, long time. The other kid is kind of new, up and coming. And, but he just starts to this, you know, this, he's like later in his career, later in life. And he just kind of starts thinking about all the things that he's missed out on. And the only way that they can really get ahead is to rob a bank. (laughs) So they rob a bank. Of course. For some reason... (laughs) They rob the bank in town (laughs) where everyone knows everybody and then they just go out on the run. So it is set in the 1800s. I I know it's it came out in 1971, but it's set in, you know, 19th century. And um, but anyway, it's I, I didn't I didn't like it as much. I thought Dear Ruth was a lot of fun, but this one was just there was a lot of stuff where I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Why didn't anybody think this through? You know, um. But I think that some of the conversations that happen between these two cowhands and and then the guys that are after them that have, you know, they've worked with and they've been good employees for a long time and they've totally um, just wronged the town and, and their employers and stuff. And some of the conversations that happen, I think, are really good. Um, but the movie itself, it just feels like like it can't decide if it's supposed to be funny or if it's supposed to be more serious. So it had some tonal problems, but um still definitely worth watching. So it was a it was a fun William Holden day. Huh. Yeah. So, sounds good. Yeah. So and I think all four cuz like I said also Sunset Boulevard and Network, but um I think all four are currently available on the Watch TCM app. So Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's about it. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? Mm, no, watch more movies. I mean, um, we are going to try to start listing things on our letterboxd um, a, a bit more. I think it would be interesting to try to list some of the films we mentioned here on our letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, the, there's, I do like the fact that there's just so much that's available. Um, I, you know, we talk about this a lot. There's so, there's so many movies to watch in good quality prints too. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know how lucky we are people? It's, it really is such a, a amazing time that we live in, you know? And yeah, this is something that, you know, when we were talking last week, I don't know if I mentioned this, I was kind of in a fog, so maybe I already said this, (laughs) but um, but the thing is, like, people freak out about, you know, oh, this movies are going to change. We're not going to get as many or whatever. But it's like there's still so much that we've never seen before. Yeah. So much is available out there that we have access to. Check it out. You know, mm-hmm. if it's if you haven't seen it before, it's a new movie. So. Yep, exactly. All right. And yes. So basically, I think what we're going to do, we haven't talked about this, but um, I think what we'll do as far as because this was a great request that we had from um, a listener whose name is not in front of me, so I can't remember who it was. I apologize. I believe it was Estefania. Oh, Estefania. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that was a great request. And so basically, I think what we'll do is we'll just start a letterbox list that is just one list that's going to be kind of ongoing updated where we'll just put all the movies that we mentioned on the podcast. So um, that's going to be a lot of movies. <laughs> it will. It will. But I think it's going to be a fun list. So, um, yeah. The nice thing about Letterboxd, too, one of my favorite things about it is that you can sort it um, by like, oh, OK, I have Criterion channels so I can look at a list and see how many of movies on this list are available on the Criterion channel. Mm-hmm. So or, you know, AMC Plus or 
HBO or whatever. So I think that's great. I, I love that feature. So anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll get that going. So that's going to be fun. And we will update it every week. So there's going to be always lots of stuff to watch that we have recommended. So, all right. And that is going to wrap us up for this week. We would like to thank you all for listening. We would especially like to thank our patrons for supporting us. Um, they are Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. If you would like to become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame. Now, uh, we had been promising all kinds of bonus content and stuff, and then the summer happened and um, things got away from us. But now we're getting back into the swing of things. We're going into the fall. I am going to be starting my Cruising with Crews um, monthly special series, so look for that. Um, I will be starting with Endless Love, which is his on-screen debut. He was in it for 45 seconds, and it is a terrible movie, and I can't wait to write about it. Um, so be watching for that on Patreon. We will also have some bonus episodes and things coming, too, as well. So lots of fun stuff. Um, we have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. CDC doesn't say you have to wear a mask necessarily anymore, but we do. So go in and get a citizen dame mask. Uh, and we have our Ko-Fi, our Ko-Fi account, which is ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. You can email us if you'd like. We like email citizen pod at gmail.com. We do not like getting spammed though. So whoever added us to a spam site, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, and of course we have our website, so be sure to go there. I'm going to have some reviews coming up this week and I think Lauren will too. So citizen yes, pod. Dot com. So check that out. And of course, we're on the social medias. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod and Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. Lauren, where are you individually? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for putting up with my COVID brain and my COVID voice. <laughs> and hopefully, I will be 100% healthy next week. So we'll catch you Yay. next time. <laughs> Bye. Well, I'll better get back. But what has she got more than me, except money? And you are getting plenty of that. Danielle, you are just a girl. She is a woman. Why do you want to buy an old car if you can get a new one cheaper? It will run better and last longer. <laughs> Looks as if my old car just drove off. No, it hasn't. It's just turned amphibious. Oh, uh... I thought I'd come out and see what the big attraction was. Yes. And possibly even rate an introduction. Oh, uh, you didn't tell me your name. Daniel Foussard. Uh, Miss Foussard, Miss Stephen. How do you do, Miss Foussard? Mr. Burns has told me so little about you. Well, we only met a couple of minutes ago. That's right. Only a few minutes ago. Only a few minutes ago. And you talked like old friends. Ah, well, that's warm, friendly France for you. Uh, well, I was, I was asking about renting some water skis. Would you like me to teach you how to water ski? Thank you, but I was women's champion at Sarasota, Florida last season. Uh, I was just an idea. Are you sure you were talking about water skis? From where I sat, it looked as though you were conjugating some irregular verbs. <laughs> Say something nice to her, Danielle. She looks a lot older, up close. Uh -oh. To a mere child, anything over 20 might seem old. A child? Shall we stand in shallower water and discuss that? <laughs> Enjoying yourself, Mr. Burns? Oh, it's very nice out here, you know, the sun and all. Well, it's too much for me. I'll see you at the hotel. <laughs> but, Mr. Burns, you didn't finish telling me why. French women are more seductive than American women. I would like to tell you, though.